1 Samuel here, 1 Samuel chapter number 23 for our text reading here this morning, 1 Samuel chapter number 23. I don't know about you, I thoroughly enjoyed our week of revival meetings uh, with Dr. John Van Gelderen, just encouraged my heart, really uplifted my spirit, and my prayer has been that God would continue that spirit in the upcoming months, and so I want to just commend each and every one of you who are able to kind of prioritize that in your schedule and and make it out a few nights this week, just a a phenomenal time of prayer and and spiritual renewal, and I know the Lord really worked in my heart, and I hope he worked in yours as well, and really that he'll continue to do so here in the year ahead, and I'm praying that 2014 will just be a, a fantastic year here. First Samuel chapter number 23 is where we're going to be looking today. First Samuel chapter number 23. We're going to do a qu- real quick mini-series, I guess, if we can call it that. We're going to take two weeks and just really focus on the subject of Christian camaraderie, uh, Christian relationships and fellowship, and uh, we're going to be studying First Samuel chapter number 23 here uh, today a little bit. I, I do want to say thank you to each and every one of you who've been praying uh, for my brother and his wife there. Uh, my my sister-in-law basically just had a baby this last week, Olivia Lane, and uh, I, I say little baby, big baby, over 10 pound baby, and uh, they're healthy and doing well, and, and uh, my wife and I have been watching Jackson, which is their first son, he's two years old here, and uh, he is, is he two or is he one? He's two, and uh, yeah, two, but he's just a talkative guy, just runs around, kind of talks to everybody, kind of outgoing personality. Those of you who've been around here long enough, and, and you remember Daniel when he was that age, uh, there's a lot of similarities there between Daniel at that age and uh, little Jackson there. Uh, but we went to the hospital, and, and we were, you know, of course, he was, you know, Jackson's just trying to figure out what's going on here. You know, he's only child here, oldest child, and now all of a sudden there's a sister in the midst and things, and he's it just taken a little while to acclimate to all of that. Well, the nurse walks in, and, and just in you know, Jackson form, he runs around, and he starts introducing everybody in the room to the nurse, and, and so he kind of grabs the nurse, he says, Jackson, and he's pointing to himself, and I'm Jackson, and then he pulls the nurse over to uh, Brianne and says, mommy, and points to mommy and, and baby, and literally begins to make a way around the room, said Aunt Jay, that's what he calls Jenny, Aunt Jay, and so, and, and this nurse is just really blown back, you know, here's this little two-year-old guy, Harley can talk, and he's introducing, you know, to everybody and things like that, he comes to Daniel, and says, this his daddy, and he looks at me and says, pastor, just like that. <laughs> I was cracking up. I was thinking to myself, man, this, this little guy, you know, but he's just very adamant, and the, of course, the nurse is, is smiling, and, and we're just thankful that uh, all that went smoothly, and just appreciate your prayers uh, in that regards. Here in our passage that we're going to get to in just a moment, 1 Samuel chapter number 23, uh, we find Saul, who is the king of Israel at the time, all right? And he's plotting to kill David. Now, you gotta, you got to really not like somebody to want to actually kill them, you know? Uh, you say, why did Saul, King Saul, want to kill David? Because in his own mind, Saul began to think that David was really becoming a rival to his throne. And in some degree, he was because God had ordained it. It, it was going to, going to happen. So David goes on the run, moving from place to place within the wilderness of Ziph. And I think these guys have a uh, map here, because I want you to kind of get an idea of where this is. So Jerusalem, you'll see at the top of the screen there, Jabez, Jerusalem, uh, there in the Hebrew. And you're going to see that David begins to make his way down to the wilderness of Judah there in Ziph, all right? Found at the bottom of your screen, just a little bit west of the Dead Sea there. Ziph is located about 30 miles south of of Jerusalem. And so here we find David on the run, moving from place to place, trying to keep Saul, King Saul from killing him. And so in the midst of all of this, Jonathan, who happens to be King Saul's son, Jonathan travels from Jerusalem, from the palace, and comes down to Ziph to try to encourage his friend. You see, Jonathan and David were great friends. And uh, even though David would one day ascend the throne that technically, legally, (laughs) might have gone to Jonathan, Jonathan desired God's will for the kingdom. And so Jonathan comes down to where David was, and not not to harm him, not to hurt him, but he comes down to encourage his dear friend. So he goes down, and really, here's what the Bible's gonna say in a moment. We're gonna see that Jonathan 
strengthens David in God. My goal this morning is very simple. Before we get started, I, I want to encourage each and every one of you here today, and I want to I really kind of inspire and motivate you, I guess, to say, um, really to, to motivate you to a place where you would, where you would be stirred to, to go to a place of, of community, to move in a direction where you belong to a small cluster of Christians, where on a regular basis you can exhort and be exhorted to fight the fight of faith day in and day out. That's my heartbeat here today, and that's my prayer. Inside your service program that you should have received on your way in, there's a little outline that you can use to follow along through the Bible study. I hope it'll be a help to you as we travel through this passage a little bit. Uh, For those of you who are able, I'd like to invite you to stand out of respect for God's word as we read from our text here today, 1 Samuel chapter number 23. We're going to start in verse number 15. I'm going to move all the way to verse 17. Uh, I might put some names in the text to help clarify as we're moving along when it says he or they or something like that, just to kind of help us as we read. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter number 13 and verse number 15. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 23 verse 15, And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph. Notice this, in a wood, all right? The Greek, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word there would be Horish in a wooded area, verse 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and Horish and strengthened his hand in God. I want you to focus on that statement. It's going to kind of be the foundation for what we talk about today. And strengthened his hand in God. Verse 17. And Jonathan said unto David, fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father Knoweth. He's saying, you know what? My dad knows this. King knows this. This morning I want to speak on the subject of strengthening each other's hands in God. Strengthening each other's hands in God. Shall we pray? Dear gracious and heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, we're just thrilled over what you've done in our hearts and lives over this week. I'm, I'm so thankful for those who made it a priority to come out some of the nights this week. And what an encouragement it was to my heart. And, and Lord, what, an, what a blessing it was to be a part of a church family that just desired to pray, to seek your face, and to really hear from God. And I pray that the results of these meetings, Lord, will not stop now that the meeting is over, but that your spirit would continue to do something in our hearts and lives that only you can do. Lord, I pray that you'd meet with us today. Lord, I am entirely incapable of communicating your truth effectively this morning. But I pray that your spirit would go before, that you would work in hearts in a way that I cannot do. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. As many of you know, I am the oldest of seven children. Uh, my youngest brother is actually 18 years younger than I am. And, and uh, to some degree, I used to joke with my parents, tease them a little bit, uh, that I was kind of the guinea pig of the bunch, uh, their, their practice child, I guess you could say. And so they kind of practiced on me and then started, I guess, maybe uh, learning the ropes as they went along. And, and what some people don't realize is I was actually uh, born at home. And I asked my mom, was that on purpose? Or did it just happen that way? Or, you know, kind of giving the details. But she had one of these, she wanted to, wanted to have her children born at home. And so I was actually born uh, in a little apartment building, a little apartment, second story, just kind of down up there in the Bay Area and things. And uh, my dad tells the story from when I was a toddler that on one particularly hot afternoon, the, the windows of our second story apartment were open to let in some breeze. And, and, and I was one of these ch- children who, who seemed to always be uh, getting into situations that had the potential of, of, of killing me. Any of you ever have a child like that that were just like prone to do things that it's like, man, does this kid have a death wish or what? It's like they're always trying to kill themselves. And, and I, I was definitely one of those children. My dad tells a story how one time I was, I was playing kind of on the couch. He was sitting there reading and I was climbing on him and on his shoulders and on his head. And this thing must run in the family because when Ashlyn, my oldest daughter, was this age, about two years old, she would often... 
she would often climb on me while I was just sitting there. And, and I w- I'm a, someone try to focus in on things, and I can get really oblivious to what's happening around me. Maybe some of you guys find yourself to be like this. And so I wouldn't really realize it at the time, and then all of a sudden I would just feel this just pain come through my head, and I'd realize that something, someone was pulling my hair, and I'd, I'd kind of be brought back to attention. And there my daughter and her diaper would be sitting on my head, you know, with her hands, with my hair in her hands, and just kind of pulling on it. And it just, I wouldn't even realize it. It was just sitting there, you know. And I was doing something like this with my dad, and I was climbing her on his shoulders and climbing on the back of the couch and just kind of playing around. My dad's just kid, sitting there reading. And, and as my dad tells the story, he said he was sitting there reading when all of a sudden he heard a terrifying sound. He said literally it was the sound of a, of a, a window screen ripping, just, just ripping. And my dad said in that moment, literally, it was as if God, without even turning around, he just literally reached out and without taking time to look, grabbed. (laughs) And I was falling out the window of this second story apartment, literally headed towards some cement sidewalk down there at the base. (laughs) And you could just imagine, you know, my dad's reaction. I I don't know that it's true. I could just imagine my mom walking in a few minutes like, hey, how's everything going? Oh, fine. You know, it's all good. Got everything. What's the rip there? You know, in the screen, don't worry about it. We'll get that taken care of, you know. And uh, I'm, I personally, for one, I'm very, very thankful he, he reached out in that moment when I was falling. I think if we were to be honest, all of us have had times in our lives where we were falling. Where we were kind of getting to a, maybe a, a place of, uh, that wasn't so safe. And what a great thing it is when God's Spirit leads someone to reach out grab hold of us and strengthen us and keep us from spiraling out of control to a very deep and dark place. This is why Ecclesiastes chapter number 4 verse 9 addresses this very thing where it says two are better than one. Why is two better than one? For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You say, what happens if I don't invest in cultivating deep spiritual relationships? What if I don't make relationships a priority? What happens if I don't work at developing good, strong Christian relationships? Relationships in my life. I just want to say this. You, you may begin to limit who the Spirit of God can use to catch you when you find yourself falling. Why the, this is why the Bible says two are better than one. Our theme for this morning, the foundation of everything we're going to say, kind of hinges on this statement. Strong spiritual relationships are vital to maintaining health and safety in the Christian's life. Strong spiritual relationships are absolutely vital to maintaining health and safety in the Christian's life. So how do you cultivate these deep relationships? That's what we're going to talk about here a little bit today. How do we develop these things? How do we cultivate them? And how do we get to a place where we can truly provide deep emotional encouragement as well as strong spiritual support and help? How do we develop strong Christian camaraderie, all right? So this morning, let's look at four aspects of developing strong Christian relationships. And we'll begin here in verse number 15. Notice what the Bible says in verse 15. And David saw that Saul was come out to him and went to David into the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And so we see David, he was here in the wilderness of Ziph, and David was kind of getting to a place where he needed Jonathan to come along and encourage him. And I want you to think about this for a moment, because the David that is being referred to here in this passage is the exact same David that used to be a shepherd boy out there in the meadows watching the sheep. In fact, the Bible tells us that on one occasion, as David is sitting out there in the meadow, he's looking around, kind of counting sheep. Maybe he's got his head back on, a, on the wool of a lamb or something, he notices in the thicket, there in the bush, there's, a, there's literally a, a lion, and it, it jumps out and grabs one of the, the, the little sheep there, and the Bible says that David, rather than just saying, hey, you know, have it, David literally jumps up and tra- starts chasing this lion, catches it, pulls the lamb out of the mouth, and just starts beating up on this lion. I mean, this is a, this is a pretty tough kid. This is the same David that went up against a giant 
by the name of Goliath with a sling. This guy's pretty courageous. This is the exact same David who who was called a, a man after God's own heart. But I want you to notice this. Even David, this courageous giant slayer, even David, this wise author of the Psalms, even David, the spiritual man after God's own heart, even this David had hard times where he desperately needed support and encouragement. Which brings us here to our first thought this morning, and that is simply this. Christian camaraderie is needed by everyone. You you say, even David needed this encouragement? Even this giant slayer? This one who wrestled with a lion? This one who was called a man after God's own heart? Yes, even David needed this encouragement. And if David needed it, can I say this? So do you and I. Regardless of how spiritual you are, regardless of how long you've been saved, regardless of how much the, of the Bible you know, regardless of how, you know, how many people in the church you know, how, regardless of how positive your disposition normally is, everyone still needs regular Christian support and encouragement. Whether you realize it or not right now, and you may be coming to church and you may think, ah, Christian camaraderie, that person may need it and those people may need it, but I don't know that I need it. Can I just simply say this? If David needed this support, if he needed to have his hands strengthened in the Lord, then you do as well. Christian camaraderie is needed by everyone. Somebody said it this way, Christians need other Christians. This is one reason why the local church is so important to our spiritual well-being. You see, Christianity is not just about what we believe. And that's the way people tend to view Christianity. It's about all these things that we believe. Christianity is more than just something we believe. Christianity is something to which we belong. And I think it's important for us to understand that belonging is much of what Christianity is, as is believing. And we see Christian camaraderie is needed by everyone. Um, without getting into maybe too many specific details um, here this morning, I uh, this week had a very good friend of mine, a friend that uh, I served in the ministry with, uh, served in a church, and uh, just in the midst of some incredibly tragic circumstances, I committed suicide this week. And as I just have kind of pondered that, that reality, um, it, it really has um, reminded me that no one, no one, regardless of their position in a church, regardless of how spiritual they may appear, Or how happy they may come across all the time. Everyone is in desperate need for deep spiritual support. We all need to have our hands strengthened in God. You need encouragement. You need Christian camaraderie. I need it. And we need to come to a place where we recognize we need this. Let's move on here a little bit today. Notice verse number 15. The Bible says, let's, let's go to verse 16, I'm sorry. The Bible says in verse 16, And so Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. Now, I think we have pictures of what the wilderness of Ziph kind of looked like, and there's actually a reason why David chose to go here. As you notice here in the wilderness of Ziph, you see the canyons and the crevices. It was a very difficult place to try to find people. In fact, in the wilderness of Ziph, oftentimes it was a place where people from Jerusalem would run to. This area of of Israel was literally known for its fugitives. A lot of people who were running from the law would make their way to the wilderness of Ziph because it was very difficult to find people there. And so they would hide among the caves. They would hide among the 
canyons. There were wooded areas that they could hide in. And so this place was literally packed with fugitives. A little bit later, you're going to find David and his mighty men come back to Jerusalem. And basically, David's mighty men are made up of a bunch of fugitives that have hidden out in the wilderness of Ziph. And the reason he was here is because it was difficult for you to try to find people in this wilderness. And so this is exactly where David decides to go. He goes to this wilderness of Ziph, and now Jonathan, hearing about what's happening, decides to himself, I am going to go and I'm going to try to find David. Now, I need to say to you today, David would have been very difficult to find. This is 30 miles south. Now, remember, this is in a time before cars. This was in a time before modern transportation. There would not have been necessarily any cell phones, no Google Maps. There wouldn't have been any GPS. And so when Jonathan decides to go here to Ziph and try to find his friend David, this was not just something that he was going to jump in a car. It was not just something that was going to happen very quickly. This was something that Jonathan really had to be intentional about. This was not something that would happen maybe in a quick couple of hours. He had to be intentional to go out to get to that place where he could strengthen the hand of his friend. And so he traveled the 30 miles in the hot, arid sun. He began to make his way through the canyons, looking in maybe caves and wooded areas because he desperately wanted to encourage the hand of his friend. You say, what is the point that you're trying to bring up? This kind of leads us to our second thought this morning, and that is simply this. Christian camaraderie is needed by everyone, but also I want you to see that Christian camaraderie usually takes conscious effort. Christian camaraderie usually takes a conscious effort. Oftentimes, if we're going to be used of God to encourage somebody else's hand in God, or if we're going to go to a place where we ourselves can be encouraged in Christ, this is not something that's going to happen on accident. It's not just something that we kind of tend to mosey into. Most of the time when we strengthen each other's hands in the Lord, it is because we have been intentional about doing so. And that's what we see in the life of Jonathan here. He had to leave the palace. He had to leave a comfortable place. He had to go to a place that was uncomfortable, a place that was un familiar, a place that was outside his comfort zone so he could experience being able to strengthen someone else's hand in God. And Christian camaraderie is much the same way. If we are going to be used of God to strengthen other people's hands, then we've got to be willing to leave our comfort zone. We've got to be willing to leave that place that's comfortable. We've got to be intentional about getting to maybe a difficult place, a hard to get to place so that we can be used of God to encourage others. But the same way so we can be in a position where we can be encouraged and have our own hands strengthened in God in much the same way. You see, if we're going to truly encourage others as well as be encouraged ourselves, it takes getting to the right place. It takes moving past our comfort zone. It's going to take some intentionality so that we can really encourage and we can really flourish in these relationships. I want you to see this. Jonathan couldn't encourage, he couldn't support from a distance. He had to do this thing up close. He had to get to this right place. This is why the Bible admonishes us in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse 11, where the Bible tells us, comfort yourselves, Here's, notice this next word, together. Comfort yourselves. He says, I want you to do this thing together. I want you to get to that place where you can be encouraged, where you can be helped, where you can be supported. Yes, you might have to get out of your comfort zone. Yes, you might have to go to a place that's unfamiliar. Yes, you might not know exactly how to navigate this certain terrain. But he says, I want you to comfort one another and I want you to do this thing together and edify one another even as also... You do. Just, he basically, Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica here, hey, you're doing this, but keep it up. And I want to say to the Ambassador Baptist Church, I think you're doing this. I think you're strengthening each other's hands in God. I think you're willing to get out of your comfort zone to help other people both inside this church and outside this church. And I want to reiterate the words of Paul where I say, hey, just like they're doing it, he's saying here at the end, even as you're doing, you're doing this, but I want to encourage you to keep it up. Don't stop. Don't stop stepping out of your comfort zone. Go into a place that's unfamiliar so that you can be used of God to encourage others in their walk with God. 
You can't do everything, and I understand this, but you can do something. And that which you can do by the grace of God, I'm going to say this, you should do. Oh, how desperately there are some people in this church who need some others in this church to strengthen their hand in God. Now, I do want to caveat this because I don't want to create something unintentionally as I preach these truths. As you and I give encouragement, we need to allow the Spirit of God to lead us into who we are going to be there to support and to help and to encourage. And I think most of us recognize we're finite human beings. We can't help everyone. It's physically impossible. And I know our heart is there. And I know our spirit is there. And I know the desire is there. But the reality is finite human beings, we can't do everything. But we can do something. And it's important that each and every one of us are very in tune to the Spirit of God, that we're allowing His Spirit to lead us, that the grace He gives us can be poured out upon others so that while we are blessed, we're blessed to to be a blessing. It is important for us to follow the Spirit. But I want to say on the flip side of this thing, when you find yourself in a position where you desperately need grace, I need you to pay attention. This is really important. When there is somebody in our congregation that needs grace and needs support and needs encouragement, I, I want us to be careful because here's what, here's what happens. And I, think, I want you to think about yourself. In those moments where you need encouragement, like, like David, or you need grace or you need support, let me say this. It is very, very important that we don't demand to God who he uses to pour out that grace through. And this happens a lot, especially in kind of church world. Well, God's supposed to use other believers to pour out grace upon me, and this is absolutely true. But when we're standing there, and we're the ones in need of that support, and we're the ones in need of that encouragement, and we're the ones in need of that grace, we have to be very, very careful that we don't say to God, God, I demand that you use that person and those people as conduits of your grace upon me. Here's why. When we get to that position... Where we say, I want grace and support and encouragement from that person and that person and those people. We are now, we're we're on the line of what is called idolatry. Because while God promises he will use people to pour out grace upon us and he will use people to pour out encouragement and support upon us. When we're looking unto Jesus for that, he can use whoever so he will. But the moment we cross the line and say, you know what, it better be that person, it better be those people, it better be these people, all of a sudden we are looking to a personality rather than to Jesus to be the source of grace. And we have to be careful. See, there might be some people in here, and if you're not careful, you may, you may be in a situation and your spouse is maybe not saved. Maybe your spouse is away from the Lord. And in your heart, you're thinking to yourself, why doesn't God use my spouse to pour out his grace through them to me? I desperately want that from them. And while I believe that every spouse should surrender to the Spirit of God to be a conduit of grace for their spouse, you as the recipient of grace, rather than looking to your spouse need to look to Christ first and foremost for grace lest you make an idol out of that spouse we need to look to Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of our faith the one who supplies all grace we got to be careful that we don't turn people in our family people in our church people around us into functional messiahs now here's what's interesting a lot of us like being people's messiahs (laughs) we like the feeling it gives us when when people are dependent upon us when they need us in fact in a lot of times we can tend to foster people's codependency issues we 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 nourish them We prop up their codependency issues. 
Now, on the one hand, all of us need to be surrendered to allow the grace of God to flow through us and follow his spirit on who we're going to pour out grace upon. But can I be very, there's a fine line here, and the fine line is follow the spirit of God. Because if we're not careful, one, we might inadvertently foster and cultivate and, and bolster up someone else's codependency, idolatristic issues. And instead of causing them to turn toward Jesus and look to him for the grace and strength that they so desperately need, now that strength is being looked to, now they're looking to a personality. Whether that personality is a spouse, whether it's a family member, whether it's a pastor, another person in the church. And if we're not careful, now all of a sudden we're, we're encouraging that. Can I say this? We must be a place that causes people to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then when God prompts our hearts and the spirit of God leads us, to minister and to help, then we, as the givers, the conduit of that grace, need to surrender to that. But let's not be the type of people that go around and say, well, God's spirit led me to be a conduit of his grace, so he, be- he-, he must be leading you to do that as well. No, this is why we're the body of Christ. We're all finite human beings. We can't do everything but we can all do something. And when each and every one of us are surrendered to the Spirit of God, saying, I can't do everything, but I can do something, and that which I can do, I'm going to do. When all of us are following the Spirit of God, guess what? The needs will be, get taken care of. The people that need that grace and need that support and need that encouragement in the body will be helped. In the body, they'll be supported. In the body, they'll be encouraged in the hand of the Lord. Uh, I, try to, I try to put this up very front in our new members class. In fact, many of you have gone through that members class and you've heard me say this. I'll say things along the lines of, I'm a human being and I can't do everything. And I often will say something along this, along this lines. I'll say when it comes to some things, I, I, I can't. And so when people come into our new members class, uh, depending on people's backgrounds and church backgrounds, s- some people tend to view the pastor as kind of the one who kind of does everything. And, and this is not that type of church, and I thank God that your congregation that recognizes it's not God didn't necessarily ordain the pastor to do everything, he ordained a church. And so I make this statement, though I can't, oftentimes, I say this, we can't. We, as the local body of believers, we can help. And when I have a part in that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play into that as well. And when I can, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to say I can't. Or sometimes I can, and the Spirit of God doesn't lead me to. It's just like there will be moments where you can, and the Spirit of God won't lead you to. And that's why it's so important, based on what we heard last week, to be filled with the Spirit. Because when we can't, God can. I want to be very careful that we do not indulge the idolistic tendencies of people who struggle with codependency issues. And, and this is really where each of us have to follow the Spirit of God. Each of us have to be led of the Spirit so that we would be used to strengthen each other's hands in the Lord. Because the moment you cross the line, and some of there's ladies will tend into this a lot, where they take on so much they even take on things that God did not want them to take on because there's just this sense of responsibility to the point that they are now taking things upon themselves that God did not ordain you to take on. They'll take on the responsibility. They'll take on this. There's some men, depending on your personalities, sometimes type A personalities will, t- will, will lean into this as well. You will take on things. You will take on responsibilities that were not given to you by God. And then you get all frustrated when you start burning out. Like somehow God's letting you down when God's saying, I did not put that on you. My spirit did not lead you to take that. This is why we need to walk in the spirit. Every one of you could make that same statement. I, I won't always be able to help everyone, but I can help somebody. And I will help those that God leads me to help. I I will sometimes say it this way. Do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for the one what you wish you could do for everyone. Sometimes I'll hear people on the flip side of this just get flat out lazy. Well, since I can't do it for everybody, it just wouldn't be fair, so I won't do it for no one. (laughs) That's retarded. (laughs) Just do it for the one. We don't live in a fair world. It's just you were led of the Spirit. Serve, serve the one and let the rest kind of fall where it was. 
And, and some of you who are leaders in the church, those of you who are growth group leaders or maybe ministry leaders, or, you know, we're, this is not a staff-run church. Staff-run churches are staff-ruined churches. And depending on your church background, you may find, wait a second, what... I thought the pastor was the one who's supposed to be at the hospital every time somebody was sick. And I, I thought the pastor was supposed to be the one there every time praying when somebody's not feeling good. And I thought the pastor or the staff or the pastoral staff were supposed to be. Can I just say that that's physically impossible now? It was possible when we were back running 30 or 40 people. There, I was able to do it. And I'm going to say this. Now as the pastoral staff and we're coming together, it's just impossible. And you know what? Here's, here's the great thing. It's not what God ordained anyways. God ordained the church to accomplish this. I, I don't make hospital visits because I'm a pastor. I don't pray for sick people because I'm a pastor. I don't encourage people because I'm a pastor. You know why I do those things? Because I'm a Christian. <laughs> you say, what do you do as a pastor? Just two things. I feed through the word and I lead through vision. That, as, biblically, that's my responsibility. Everything else I do, I do as the spirit of God leads me because I'm a Christian. And I just, the same thing you're supposed to do because you're a Christian. And see, here's how we're going to move forward and make a difference 100 years from today that no honest history could literally be written of this battle. Here's how we're going to do it. Not because there's this crazy, awesome, uber-talented pastor because I can promise you we're not. I'm not. Our staff isn't. It's going to happen because a church family just gathers together and says, you know what, together we're all going to be led of the Spirit. We can't, each of us can't do everything, but we can all do something, and we're going to allow the Spirit of God to lead us to do for the one what we, what we wish we could do for everyone. Because Christian camaraderie takes conscious effort. Uh, earlier this week, one of, the, one of my kids was running around and, and uh, had a bag in their hand and running here. And I was, they were going to the different family members and things. And I think this was maybe Monday or Tuesday night. And the bag. And, and, and was telling everybody to reach in and, and pull out a, paper from the piece of the, from the, a piece of paper from the bag. And, and running here and running there. And, and finally came over to me and held out the bag and said, reach in and, and grab a piece of paper. And so I just kind of, I was reading at the time. And so I almost half-hazardly reached in, pulled out the piece of paper, looked at it, kind of threw it aside, didn't think anything of it. And, and uh, they came back to me in just a moment. They said, hey, that piece of paper has a name written on it. <laughs> Whoever's name is written on it, you have to do something nice for them that week, this week. And they, they, taking all, everybody's name and our family. And, and, and you say, you know, what's the point of that? And one of the reasons that really encouraged my heart is, is because one of the marks of Christian maturity is that you build into your life the intention and the occasions to strengthen someone else's hand in God. To encourage someone. And this is why it's so important, because strong spiritual relationships are absolutely vital to maintaining health and safety in the Christian's life. We need this Christian camaraderie, but it takes conscious effort. You're going to have to leave the comforts of your palace. You're going to have to leave your comfort zone. You might have to travel down to the wilderness of Ziff. It might be a little confusing to navigate. You might not know quite how to make your way through it. But I want to say this. God can give you grace to do so. See, for some of you, we have what's called here growth group Bible study. And for some of you, you're just a little bit uncomfortable with them. It's outside of your comfort zone. You don't really know any people. You don't know how to navigate it. It just feels a little outside what you're comfortable with. And what I'm saying is I want you to leave the comforts of the palace. I want you to leave your comfort zone. I want you to step out by faith. I want you to go down to the wilderness of Ziph a little bit. It's a little uncomfortable, and you don't know quite how you're going to navigate it. You don't know how it's all going to quite turn out for the purpose and the potential of being strengthened and strengthening others. That we would kind of follow the pattern here of Jonathan. Well, let's move on. Notice verse 16 here. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand. And I want you to focus on these two words. This is really important. In God. Now, if, you, if you're used to writing in your Bibles, I want you to circle those two words. In God. You say, why? Um, imagine it for just a moment. Picture the scene. Here they are in the wilderness of Ziph. It's the desert. There's a bunch of trees around them. The Bible says they're in a woods. I, I'm sure as the evening begins to come, they've lit a little campfire, and now the, the, the campfire is crackling there in front of them, and they're sitting around the fire, just kind of mesmerized by the flames. They look up through the trees, and the, the, the desert sky is just illuminated with all of these stars, and they're sitting there, and Jonathan looks across the fire into the face of his friend David, and as he, as he looks across, he can just tell something about David's countenance is just a little bit, it's just fallen. And so Jonathan, as a friend of one who wants to help and as one who wants to support, 
Jonathan begins to strengthen his hand in God. He begins to encourage David. He begins to speak life there into David's situation. And as he speaks, he helps his friend David focus afresh and new on the goodness and greatness of God. Notice this, which leads us to our next thought this morning, and that is this. Christian camaraderie is about strengthening each other in God. And I don't want you to miss this, okay? Christian camaraderie is not just about building up people's self-esteem. This is really important now, okay? I want you to focus on this. Christian camaraderie, divine spiritual relationships is not just about building up people's self-confidence, but rather it's about building up their God-confidence because it's people's God's confidence, not their self-confidence that is ultimately going to make the biggest impact in the long run. And so as we have opportunities to get to that place where we can encourage one another and strengthen one another, we want to make sure that we are strengthening each other's hands, not in ourselves, not trying to build up their confidence in themselves, but rather trying to strengthen their hand in what the Bible says, in God. We want to encourage them to be strengthened in God. We're not attempting to build up just self-esteem or, or simple, you know, um, self-confidence, but rather God-confidence. Can, can I remind you of this? There is a huge difference between Christian camaraderie and all other support groups and therapy groups and self-help groups and secular counseling. And I, I'm not necessarily against those things. And I'm not necessarily trying to downplay those things. But here's what I am trying to say. That is not the same as having your hand strengthened in God. It's very different. And so as we come to these groups, as we get to that, uh, that place where we're trying to encourage each other and support one another and help one another, it's absolutely vital that we recognize that Christian camaraderie is first and foremost about strengthening each other's hands in God. And this is, what ex- this is exactly what the Apostle Paul does for that church in Thessalonica in uh, chapter number 2, verse 16, where he says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself... And God, even our Father, which had loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. He comforts your hearts and establishes you in every good word and work. The Apostle Paul wasn't trying to build up the church of Thessalonica in himself. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm the man and I've arrived. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm coming to your rescue. I'm going to be there in a moment. Super Christian is on his way. He wasn't pointing there to himself. He wasn't even necessarily pointing to somebody else in the church and say, hey, get, get with them and talk with them. He First and foremost, he recognized that primarily what the church at Thessalonica needed was to have their confidence bolstered in God. And this is kind of the, this is the main phrase of this passage here. That we would not just strengthen one another's hands. Because we're good at that. Even in our marriage, there are people here and you're good at encouraging your spouse. And you're good at kind of building up their self-esteem and their self-confidence. And and you'll encourage them. And I'm not even saying that's all bad. But what I am saying is Christian camaraderie is more than that. Christ-honoring, Christ-centered camaraderie and relationship is built around strengthening each other's hands in God. And that's what we need more of in the church. That's what we need more of in our Bible studies is to bolster people's confidence in God, to bolster our confidence in Him. Now, some of you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, you know what, man... I mean, I like church and everything, and I understand you've got, you know, Bible study growth groups where, you know, we can come together and try to encourage one another in, in the Word and in Bible. But you say, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of an exception. <laughs> you say, Pastor, I, I'm just, I'm a little bit different. You say, I don't know that I really need it. Whether you realize it or not, based on what we saw in the first passage, if David needed it, you probably need it too. Whether you're consciously aware of it or not. But the second thing I would say is, is, is simply this. Um, some of you might be sitting here thinking, the reason I don't need it is because, man, I've got all these friends, you know, in my neighborhood, and we just have a good time together. We, we, oh, excuse me, I was going to, oh. We were going to kind of come to a place a little bit where we kind of get around a, a fireplace and we'll kind of, we'll have some camaraderie and things. Or, or, or maybe I've got people in my workplace and you say to yourself, you know what? They're, they're good people, and I, I get together with people there and, you know, at my workplace. Or, or maybe you're sitting here and say, I've got family, and, and we get together regularly with family. I don't need 
Christian camaraderie. I don't need it. Now, can I say this? If those people that you just mentioned are not strengthening your hand in God, then you need something more. And I'm not saying strengthen your hand in good, because I realize some of your neighbors, some of the people at work, and some of your unsafe family, they're, they're probably encouraging you strengthen your hand in good. I'm asking you, are they strengthening your hand in God? Are they getting you to focus on God? Are they getting you to focus on his promises, on his purposes, on his provision, on his perspective? Because if they are not, then I'm going to say this, you need something more. You need Christian camaraderie. Um, if you notice here, verse number 17, I want you to see this here real quick. First uh, Samuel chapter number 23, verse 17. And David said, uh, I'm sorry, and Jonathan said unto David, and he said unto him, notice this words, fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. This is the second time where you're going to see the phrase hand here in this passage. The first time is in the verse before where it says, and he strengthened his hand in God. So we see the hand of God in verse number 16. But then in verse number 17, you're going to see the hand of Saul. And the Bible says in verse 17 that the hand of Saul literally here, he'll, he'll be raised, it was raised there against David. And, and you might be sitting here today and you might be thinking to yourself, Man, I go to work and I feel like that, that hand is being raised against me. A boss is raising his hand against me. I feel like a spouse is raising their hand against me. I feel like I've got a man co-worker and they're raising their hand against me. I feel like I'm in this situation, they're raising their hand against me. And can I simply say this? That the hand of God that you see in verse number 16 is greater than the hand that raises itself against you. And you need some friends in your life who will constantly remind you and constantly stir up in remembrance that God, his purposes, his plan, his promises are going to get you through. And that's why Jonathan could say to David, fear not, (laughs) fear not. Why? Because the hand of God was greater. But I want you to see lastly here this evening, Christian camaraderie is mainly about strengthening each other in God. And then lastly, notice verse 17. He says, fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel. So put yourself back in this situation. Here, here David and Jonathan, they're sitting among the groves, the trees there. They're under the desert sky. And Jonathan begins to speak to David. And as he speaks to David, he says to David, hey, God's going to take you th- through this thing. He says, my father shall not find thee. He says, you're going to be king. He goes on to say in the middle of verse 17, I will be next unto you. And he says, my, my father Saul, even he knows this. Well, how did Jonathan know that David would one day be king? If you go back to, you know, earlier passages here in chapters number 16, you're going to find that a prophet came to David and spoke on behalf of God and told David as a young man that he would one day be king. And I have no doubt that as Jonathan and David were growing up together, that David mentioned this event to Jonathan. And I want you to see what Jonathan here is doing. Jonathan is reminding David of the promises and purposes of God in his life. Which brings us here to our final thought before we're done here today. And that is this. Christian camaraderie is cultivated by reminding each other of the promises and purposes of God. You say, how do we develop this? How is this developed in our life? Is it developed because we, you know, we do a lot of fun things together? Can I say Christian camaraderie is not primarily cultivated around sporting events? And I'm glad when churches get to get up and they go to sporting events together. But Christian camaraderie is not mainly fostered around those things. It's not mainly fostered around fun activities and kind of events or big potlucks. And I'm not against events and I'm not against potlucks. But Christian camaraderie is not mainly cultivated around those things. Mainly Christian camaraderie is cultivated as we literally remind each other of the promises and the purposes of God. This is why as a church, maybe you, maybe you grew up in a church or maybe your past church and they always were doing events and they were doing this and they are doing that and doing these things and picnics and this. And I'm not against those things, but can I simply say this? You can do that on your own. Those things don't necessarily foster and cultivate here real Christian camaraderie. 
In fact, I've, I've gone to many Christian kind of barbecues, and, and though it's fun and it's kind of good to get together, and I'm not against it, rarely do I hear a lot of people just talking about God and the promises of God and the provision of God and the purposes of God and using those opportunities to speak the spiritual life into other people. And so we've just kind of said, hey, listen, it's not a bad thing, but we're going to really give ourselves the main things. And if people want to get together and have picnics together and want to go to sporting events together and want to have fun together and do those type of things, you can. <laughs> But as a church, we're going to primarily focus on those things that really, on a deep level, cultivate not just camaraderie, but Christian camaraderie that is based on reminding one another about the promises and purposes of God. And for Ambassador Baptist Church, the best way that we have seen that accomplished is through what we call our growth group Bible studies. There's just a lot of God talk that happens there. There's just a lot of biblical, spiritual exchange that happens in that environment. And there, there is more spiritual exchange that happens in those one hours than like in 20 hours of just kind of having fun together at the ball game. And I'm not against it. I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. I think there's actually a place for it. But it's not necessarily always Christian camaraderie. It's just kind of good-hearted, general fellowship. And as a church, we're going to stay focused on those main things that foster Christian camaraderie, which is cultivated by reminding each other of the promises and the provision of God. My friend, God has a destiny and a purpose for you, and I want you to be the type of friend that is regularly reminding one another of those things. I'm going to put this on the screen as we begin to wrap this up. We strengthen each other's hand in God by reminding each other about the promises of God that are especially suited for uh, each other's needs. And th this is why these growth group Bible studies are so important, because they're literally orchestrated. They're literally designed to help foster Christian camaraderie. You need it. Whether you realize it or not, you need this Christian camaraderie. You need to be strengthened in God in this way. Oh, we all need it. A couple of years ago, we had a lady in our church who became very ill, and she, she was, I think she went through some surgeries and just at the hospital, and, and her growth group just really rallied around her and was there to support her and help her, and they were there with her each day, praying over her, providing for needs and things, and, and as she was kind of coming out of it, uh, uh, her family up in the Bay Area had offered that maybe she should move up, you know, to the Bay Area to live with them just because of her health, you know, situation and things, and and she basically told them, you know what, I, my, family's, my family's here. I'm thankful for you, but man, that spiritual family, that camaraderie, my group, is just, they're just here to support and help and pray. And her growth group had become just as much family as her little physical family. In fact, she's in the auditorium here right now. And rather than move to where a physical family was located, she's here today because there's something deep that exists in this place. 